Um, so I just have a few starting questions. Um, I couldn't find this doing my research, but they're, they're about you more so. Um, so you led the Peru trip for, was it 12 years? Uh, maybe 13. So kind of what was that trip like in, in terms of with the kids that you brought down interacting with the locals down there? Well, the, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's too bad you didn't get to go on that trip. You know, the, the setup of the trip was really good because, uh, the first stop was Cusco where we were for maybe the first five or six days. And what was nice about it is that we were volunteering in an orphanage so that in terms of like using Spanish, it's the least threatening dynamic for a visitor because you're speaking with children and the children, uh, you know, they're, they're easier to understand you know, you're not uh, as self-aware as you would be with adolescents or adults. And these are also kids who have no parents. And so the kids, you know, they were just so attractive by the uh, the goodwill and the, the optimism of the Thayer kids. And they just, you know, they wanted attention and because the life is kind of boring uh, in, the, in the orphanage. I mean, it's, you know, it's. It is what it is. You know, there's it's divided into like apartments. And so, you know, you're with maybe six, eight, ten other kids and you have a mom who's not really your mom. But, you know, these are these are wonderful women, loving women. And one of the nice things about uh, this sustained effort where, where every year we improve the orphanage is that the mom started to stay and become a cohesive unit. You know, before it's because it's it's not really a great job. But so the kids experience was really wonderful. And there was so many things going on, you know, because they're speaking Spanish. They're with the kids, like helping them with homework and stuff, you know, like math uh, and other things. It was a lot of fun for our kids. And then, of course, we'd be playing with them outside in their playground, pushing them. And there were kids there would be from newborns to uh 15 16 17 year old kids so it was really a wonderful experience for the kids and also the thing about you know like what an orphanage is and it's not uh you know it's not a place where you typically go i mean if you like i don't even know like are there there orphanages in the united states is i don't even know but it, it was an opportunity to see these kids in an orphanage like and all the different and hearing all the different ways they wind up in an orphanage because it's always you know these really you know these terrible family situations whatever you know families getting rid of kids they can't afford them parents going into jail parents with drug problems all, all, all kinds of terrible things so having this experience also you know, and, and the thing I really liked about working with Thayer kids is that Thayer kids are privileged, but they know they're privileged and they want they want to see this kind of thing, you know, especially the kids who, who would go on the trip. And so the experience of seeing a child who has done nothing wrong, who has just had bad luck and then winds up in an orphanage, uh, I think it's a it's kind of a positive experience 
uh, for the kids. And there was this one moment on the trip, because the way the trip was, we're five or six days in Cusco. Then we go to the Sacred Valley where we would live with farm families, which was another amazing experience because, I mean, we lived in the farm town in Ollanta so primitively. I mean, the bathroom is barely a bathroom. Meals were, they were great in a way, but sometimes you didn't even know what you were eating. Uh, and, but anyway, so what would happen, we, we'd do the farm thing, we'd hike the Inca Trail, we'd go to Machu Picchu. Then we'd come back to Cusco, uh, and there was this moment of saying goodbye to the kids. And so at the end of the trip, this was the last day, and we would go and see the kids and kind of say goodbye to them. And, and the kids got pretty close. I mean, you know, from the point of view of the Thayer students, they're just, there's just so much love between these kids and the kids had such intense needs. And there was this moment where we would leave and walk to the gates, the gates of the orphanage locked. Uh, and at the end of the trip, at this moment, the gate would slide shut. I mean, it was like a jail, you know, the idea of the slammer. And it would slide shut, and the kids would be putting their fingers through the grates, saying goodbye. And when we would get in the van, everybody started crying. Because everybody had this sense of, God, like, now I really know who I am. I just happened to be born in this wonderful house with loving parents who have given me all of these opportunities. Here are these kids who have done nothing wrong, wonderful kids, full of love, full of life, and I'm leaving them here to the drudgery of the orphanage. I know where I'm going back to, you know, my wonderful life with all of my friends and, you know, heading off to college soon. And it was that that was really that was the moment. And in fact, one year. The valedictorian of, of the class went to Peru, Charlie Steele, and he gave when he gave the valedictory address uh, at graduation, all he talked about was that moment. And it was it was really something. So that's a long winded answer <laughs> to your question. I mean, sometimes those are the best answers. Oh, I mean, that that was the moment. And I mean, I could tell it's funny. I communicated recently with a student who had come from one of these like dad was military. Then dad made a lot of money and his older siblings had got like they all gone to like Dartmouth. And and the father was like a tough guy and you lifted yourself up and you succeeded at sports. And also he was very uh, conservative, very Republican in his values and Poor people deserve to be poor, and we don't help them. We help ourselves. And this kid, when we had like this farewell event, it was the last day, because after kind of saying goodbye to the kids, we have a farewell event. And when we walked out of the house and started walking downtown, we we're going to have a farewell dinner at this really nice restaurant. He put his arm around me and started crying talking about you know i came down i come from this family but i see these kids they haven't done anything wrong and he was just so moved by it and i i heard this is like eight or ten years later he, he gets in touch with me because i had coached him as a soccer player and he says uh 
yeah, I'm coaching these, you know, these kids in the Bronx, going to be working with the team. You know, you got any ideas for me? And so it, it was, it was really nice talking with them and, you know, sending them to some resources. But uh, I'll tell you, it was, it was a wonderful trip that in time only gets better. And then your parents, I mean, immediately, you know, they really have great instincts and they're wonderful people. And they immediately jumped on board on this trip and they, they, they just got everything, got involved. They also visited the orphanage. Uh, they were the only adults who went, you know, cause I don't know, they had something. They also wanted to see it. I don't, have they told you about that experience? I think <laughs> I'm well versed in their experience. They love to tell the stories. It's one of their favorite yeah. memories. Oh, I mean, cause, cause when we were there, it didn't go smoothly at all. In, at the orphanage, and it was a really great glimpse into corruption. Uh, like we had brought uh, things to give. We had a whole bunch of things. I mean, you know, I, even though I was going with the adults, I brought, uh, what did I do on that trip? I think I brought like 200 pairs of socks because it, like when they get clothing donations, they never get socks. Socks have to be new. So I brought a lot of socks and the director at first would not let us. It was your parents were there. I was there. Chivy was there. And the director, who's like a political hack, wouldn't let us give the socks. He said, no, first, no, you're going to leave these with me because first I have to count them to make sure that all of them will be given to the kids. And we're like, well, how about if we just give them to the kids? No, it's not going to work that way. And your parents were sitting right there and they couldn't understand the Spanish. And then Chibi, who's the former vice, the assistant mayor of Cusco, she uh, texts somebody, this guy's phone number, his phone rings. And it's like somebody eight paid grades above him <laughs> who tells him how it's going to be. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. And that's what your parents got to experience. And then imagine this, where now we're bringing them, there's like eight different apartments. And so we're going around and I, I was with your dad and we got all these different sizes of socks and we're trying to get the right socks on the right feet. And literally your dad and I, the kids have their shoes and socks off. They have these dirty feet because they don't bathe much. And there are me and your dad you know, putting these socks onto these kids, trying to find the right size for each, making sure everyone was accommodated. And that was how the whole thing ended up. And, you know, but you, your parents were just awesome on this trip. Awesome. There was there was one time, it was like the last Sunday, I think it's the last day or next to last day. And we get up in the morning and we were in this fancy hotel in Cusco, like, like a five-star hotel, not the kind of place we stayed with the kids, with the Thayer kids we played. We stayed in a very simple but clean guest house. And your parents weren't there. We're down, hey, where, where's Joe and Laura? Where's Joe and Laura? And I, and I said, I know where Joe and Laura are. They're out on the street, exactly where they should be on a Sunday morning exploring Cusco. And that's where they were. Yeah, they're, they're definitely the adventurous type. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's not like they speak Spanish, you know, so, but anyway, so what the, do you have other prompts or? You... Yeah, I have, I have a few other, a few other questions. Okay. 
Um, so that was the last time you went to Peru, 2019? Yes, yes. That was before everything kind of shut down. <laughs> right, because we went in the summer. Yeah, and then it wound around to March when everything happened with COVID. Yeah, so kind of speaking about the closing in general, um, how did the government in general respond? Or what do you know of the government's response? Because I know that they shut down early, but I know that you, as a, I don't know, <laughs> Peruvian, very, I don't know how to say it, a very, I don't know, smart person in terms of... You can just come out and say it, son. <laughs> <laughs> a person well versed in their Peruvian knowledge. That's the one. So, how would you say that the government responded to the pandemic? Oof. You know, uh, for the government, you know, like when we look at our country, you know, you say, well, you know, like the government respond. Okay, well, you know, the government's, you know, okay, you. You know, what what have been the rules? The rules, okay, you got to stay home. You got to wear a mask when you go out. Uh, so, and the obstacles that came up in our country were like incomprehensible. All of a sudden it's politics, wearing a mask when it's not politics, it's public health. So Peru, the government, the tradition in Peru, you know, uh, like Peru has had dictators. So Peru is very accustomed a very strong government telling you what to do. So in Cusco, you know, the government, they shut everything down. You got to stay home. You know, you can only go out like to buy groceries. And then they had a curfew, too. It was like you couldn't be in the street from like uh, 8 p.m. to 5 in the morning. And so they had, you know, they had very strict things going on. But uh, it's just, you know, you have so many people living together, you know, cause that's kind of how it is in Peru. It's, you know, it's, there's just a lot of people packed into a house and then, it, you know, these people don't have anything. So they, you know, they go out and everywhere is so crowded that it was just, it was very difficult to control. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the also the, the whole indigenous world with the Incans and this is like one of the many reasons you go to Peru, because a lot of times when you travel the world, you know, you go to see like if you go to Greece, you go to see Greece and you walk around ruins. The whole thing about Peru is that the Incan culture is vibrant. It's alive. There are millions of people that speak the language. And like when, when the covid started going to the villages it was just very cruel because it's a culture where knowledge and tradition is rooted in the old people. Everything is done orally, the oral traditions of sharing knowledge, of telling stories of and who are the people who died first were the old people. And so there's this and this is what you hear everywhere in the world, that these indigenous communities were just destroyed because, you know, they might have been the people, the last people who speak the language, the people who, you know, knew, uh, had particular kinds of knowledge, like with, te like with Peruvians, they know a lot about textiles, stonework. So all of this knowledge died and, uh, 
uh, it was just, it's just very sad. But, uh, and then, you know, there's the idea of poverty, you know? I mean, and the other thing that has to be mentioned in Peru is corruption. Peru is a very corrupt, corrupt, corrupt place. I don't want to say all the politicians are corrupt. And I got a special look into it with Chivi. Chivi's like the only clean politician in the world. And when she was the assistant mayor, she ran into an awful lot of trouble because everybody was on the take except her. And that person... It makes everybody nervous. But the corruption, and and this is just how it is. It's just everything is corrupt. So, I mean, I don't even know, you know, how many vaccines have come in. But Lima, the capital, runs the show. And rich people run the show. And it's not rich that makes them bad. It's just, you know, they have the power. And so the way these vaccines I know are going to be given out in Peru, it's going to be given to the people who you know, are connected to hospitals and, you know, they're going to be getting it first. And, you know, it's just sort of the way everything goes. And uh, so I, I, I don't really know what to say. You know, and the other thing is that there has been enormous political trouble this year. Like the Congress was closed down. They've had like four presidents this year and it has nothing to do with COVID. This is just about like corruption and movements and power grabbing so the country is just you know you put all of these things together and the chaos has just been enormous yeah i uh i talked to shivy last week maybe okay she uh did you speak in english or spanish spanish wonderful (laughs) she she speaks fast you know uh, and it's, 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 the phone is always difficult. It's nicer to have people in front of you watching the mouths, watching the faces. Yeah. <laughs> so what did she say? She said a bunch of the things that you said. Um, she talked about how there's a lot of people who aren't able to afford like even new masks. They've been, they've been wearing the same mask for weeks at a time. They aren't able yeah. to like afford food. They're not able to afford a bunch of stuff. And then talking about more with politics, it's just a mess. No one really knows what's happening down there. She's kind of a little worried, but she is a very hopeful person. And she's definitely very hopeful that things are going to get better. Yeah. And imagine a region that lives from tourism. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, know, and a family that lives from tourism. She said um, that um, it's been really hard with tourism in general because the whole country got shut down, but they're slowly starting to open for more like localized tours. Um, she said that her business is getting going starting with these tours. And I assume that's what's happening across the country. Yeah, it, it'll happen slow. I mean, uh, you know, cause it's, you know, the, the real money comes from the Europeans and the Americans, uh, to a lesser degree, South Americans also go to, you know, Cusco and Machu Picchu, but it's, you know, I mean, you ready to go to Peru? (laughs) You know what I mean? That's not going to be for a while. Yeah, it's just tough with vaccines, too, because Peru has, I think, most recently updated their count to zero vaccines. So there's no vaccines have been given out down there. Yeah, you know, and, and, and the other thing where, 
you know, we, we looked, you know, our own government in different ways. Governor Cuomo was hit by this. You know, the real count on COVID deaths, we didn't even do it right in the United States. These other countries, I was in Venezuela once and there was a, a an epidemic of dengue fever, which uh, I mean, I, I was like 23 years old. I, I was the sickest I've ever been. I don't think I was close to death per se, but I was really sick. This was unreported in the world. The country, they're embarrassed, you know, about these things. So as far as the count, I mean, I know because I read about South America all the time. There's no way their counts are even close. Oh, absolutely Uh, not. Yeah. It's, It's probably the same with every other country across the world. Yep. It's it's not just Peru specific in this case. Yeah, and even, you know, the truth of the matter is you have somebody really old that's got all kinds of pre pre, you know, the pre-existing conditions and they catch covid and die, you know, how are you going to score that? You know, okay, it's covid, well maybe not, you know, so we can score that as a heart condition or you know, a lot of that went on too everywhere. Yeah. And then a lot of people, in other words, like if you get COVID and you're in your house and you don't go to a hospital because you can't afford it and you die, does that death go recorded? True. And then there's also the risk that you spread it to everyone else in the house. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and yeah, these houses are so small. Everyone it lives in a multi-generational house with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well, I feel I feel so, you know just so bad for these 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 countries you know because it's like yeah you know this was bad for us and you know and yeah you know we miss all the things we miss doing and so forth but you know when when you see the the realization of these people down there starving to death you know i mean as in in our country as well it just you know it makes our, our own you know what we had to go through was really more about boredom yeah. uh you know I mean, but that was great. That, well, what else did Chivy say? Um, one of the brighter sides was that she said something like they're getting bottled oxygen or canned oxygen down there uh, for kind of treatment in hospitals. But one of the bad things was that all the hospital beds still over a year later are all full. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's it's life is life is, you know, so hard. (laughs) And one of the one of the other things you can almost laugh at is they didn't realize in Cusco how many homeless people there were until they did the curfew. So, you know, the police would go around the city and it's like, oh, my God. So all these people, they they, they don't have homes. It's hard to enforce a curfew when their people don't have a place to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, but it's so complicated. I mean, like, you know, you probably gave those four paragraphs I sent you. Look, I actually just read them while I, you know, I was waiting to talk to you. And it is just so freaking complicated. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so many things going on in Peru. And it's just, you know, and it's the same thing in our country. You know, what, what's going to be the effect of COVID? You know, I, I mean, because the income inequality that we've been seeing over the last 20, 30 years is crushing. And 
every single thing from, you know, like, you know, it as a student, you know, a smart student like you, you know, you're able to keep up, you work independently, you're disciplined, you've got nice Wi-Fi, good laptop, you know, teachers trying to help you. You know, what what happened to, you know, poor people in our own country? You know, these kids, kids with learning issues, you know, all they do is fall farther behind. Uh, it's, it's just so tough on everybody. And even with the kids in Peru, uh, should be said, it's so hard for people to learn because there's no access to even like cellular devices. Nonetheless, Wi-Fi. Yeah, no, exactly. In other words, uh, like... No, like the percentage, like, I don't know the percentage of people that don't have Wi-Fi in their house, but it could be yeah, like 80 or 90 percent. It's very people high. That, yeah. Everybody goes to somewhere, you know, uh, it, it's actually nice for travelers because restaurants, bars, uh, coffee shops, you know, places you go into, they generally have Wi-Fi. And that's, you know, one of the things that they want to have because it brings people in. Yeah, but there just aren't many houses that have it, and that's what makes it tough. Yeah, exactly. And then and then you need a device. Oh, yeah, which for people who don't even – for people that aren't able to afford, like, even new backpacks and new school stuff, how are you going to afford a new phone or even a computer? Yeah. You know, one of the things in all the years I did the – it's like little by little, I started bringing down all kinds of things like uh, – like I got an iPad from Thayer, which I mean, this in our world, this is like a throwaway thing. You know, I mean, I didn't use it. I used my laptop. And then once we stopped, we did it for two years at Thayer. It was an experiment. It really didn't go well, actually. And I brought mine down and I gave it to Ernesto, our uh, driver, who had been with us since the beginning of the program. I gave this thing to him. He brought it home. His kid configured it. And Ernesto says to me the next day, like neither of us had any, ever seen anything pick up the internet like this. Yeah. That it's just so powerful. And for us, this is, this is a throwaway thing. Like, hey, yeah, let, let, yeah, let me give this to Ernesto. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, got anything else? Um, I mean, you did a pretty good job answering some of the larger questions. Um. I think I'll I'll give you this one. In your eyes, do you think Peru responded to the pandemic in an okay way? Or how do you think they could have improved? And kind of a more overarching question, what, what do you think is the best way to respond to a pandemic like this? You know, it's it's it really depends on, on the country, you know? Like, you know, like it, if this would have happened in our country... 30 years ago, we, we, we would have beaten the crap out of this thing. 40 years ago, talking about like my parents in the 50s, if this would have happened in the 50s, everybody would have done everything that they could have done. You know, we had just finished fighting World War II where everybody was active trying to help out. You know, this idea of like trying to get these companies to make things that everyone needs that we struggled with. I mean, these companies switched from making cars to tanks in like weeks. Uh, there was no no hesitation in the least. So it's even looking at it. Our, and, and, you know, the thing about our country is like, you know, you go through something like this and it's like, you know, like 
it's definitely true something like this is going to happen again. So when you go through something like this, you know, like if you're Thayer Academy, if you're a business and you go through a tough thing, you immediately start saying, okay, when we're up against this next, how are we going to have a better response in our country? I mean, we're so divided right now. So in other words, we have these like endemic institutionalized problems that we can't solve. I mean, people who don't believe in science. So, you know, like if you say, well, you know, how did the United States do it? Like, how could we do better? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't even see how we're going to do better. And then you take Peru where the problems are so big, you know, the, there's not enough hospitals. Uh, I, I, I don't even know, know what to say. Cause you know, you also like, we real, you know, I don't want to be, we don't want to be, you know, people who, who look at a Peru and judge them and say, well, yeah, well, how come, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Imagine the Peruvians turning around and looking at us. You're the goddamn richest country in the world. You don't have national health care. You know, you've got a third of the people that they can't go to see a doctor. They can't afford it. You know, and this is this is you, 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 you're the you think you're the leader of the world. You know, you think you do things better than anyone else. I mean, it's just, you know, every country has to deal with it, with all of their problems and attitudes. And, you know, I you, but you, you follow what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know what what we did. I mean, our country. Uh, and it's really true about like, you know, like your grandparents, are your grandparents still alive? Yes. You know, I mean, you know, would your grandparents, you know, in the 50s or 60s, I think we, we really would have beat the crap out of this thing. You know, we would have been over it. Uh, everybody would have done whatever they had to do, you know. And, and, and how about for, you know, and uh, let, let, let me finish. I don't want to bore you with all these stories, but you know, when, when once, uh, hopefully you're going to start your career going to Latin America. And when you go to Latin America, you see a lot of these poor villages, rural villages, rural towns. So, you know, in, in, in development where you're trying to help countries, you know, you, you go to these villages and the first thing that you see is that all of the people have these worms in their bellies, these parasites. Well, why do they have the parasites? They're parasites because they're drinking water that's bad. So why is the water bad? It's bad because they don't have filters. And then they also typically don't, don't keep their animals far enough away from where they take their water in their wells. So you go and you say, okay, we're going to install this pump and this filter, and we're going to leave you filters and you're going to need to change them. The other thing you have to do is you have to push your animals a few hundred yards farther away so that, you know, when they defecate and the rain comes, it doesn't all get washed into the drinking water. And then you will see in just a few months, your children will no longer have parasites and worms. You will no longer have parasites. And that's the first step to us really helping you. And then we'll go from there. And then when you come back in six months, you know what you find? They've done nothing. Yeah. Why, why have they done nothing? Because the science, 
they don't really get. They don't trust you. And so I, I woke up one morning thinking to myself, you know what? This is my country now. In the United States, you say, hey, you wear a mask and people don't wear masks. And this is our country now that doesn't understand science. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's given us an awful lot to think about. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's, it's overwhelming at, at times. Just, it's hard to believe that a country so developed as us has developed habits that are similar to those that are in Latin America. Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, when are you going down to Peru? <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to figure out how to do it. Miss Miss Lukens has been scheming some way to get me down there either next year or the following year as a quote unquote chaperone. Ooh, bingo! I bingo. mean, <laughs> I propose that I sneak in a piece of luggage and they check me in a in a bag. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Hey, but isn't uh, kind of blanking on his name the the young male math teacher that? was going to be her chaperone. Wait, did oh, Mr. Keo. Yeah, he went one year. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm blanking on his name. Derek Keo. Yeah, Derek, because he, he went to Peru with me back in the day. He, he was went, a wonderful kid and part of a wonderful group. Yeah, he went last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Though uh, no, that the school was so lucky. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it, it's like when you're running this trip, every teacher with a brain and a heart comes up to you. Uh, and wants to go on the trip, but it's it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be the right people. Mm-hmm. And then Derek is perfect. And you would also be good, uh, <laughs> but you don't know the trip. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the other way you can do it, I'm going to run another trip, uh, you know, as soon as things clear. But the thing is, the student trip was just so soulful. Yeah. I mean, you really got to figure it. Well, maybe you could go. You know, one time, uh, I, my my daughters were my chaperones, and uh, their cousin, my niece, she came one time. We sort of we never really told anybody. <laughs> we just sort of brought her, <laughs> you know. And it was like you know Julio and Chivy knew, and so Julio, we're gonna figure these. I'll bring her, bring her, you know, and. Uh, and it was great having her. So maybe you could go like that. Think of that idea. To approach Lukey with that one. That look, if I can't go as a chaperone, ask Julio yeah. if I could go as a as a one more. So that, you know, because you know, especially if there's competition, oh, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> you know, the the parents know that they're they're getting the twelve and they don't have to know, you know, that this guy's coming along. Yeah. <laughs> Go for go for that one. <laughs> Just book an extra flight and then meet him down there. Uh, did she? What did she do? She came. She was coming. I don't remember. Oh, she went down. My daughter was somewhere, and they flew down together. Uh, that actually came the day before. Uh, yeah, you can uh, you can work that because it's you know that trip is so good. And the other thing about the trip that makes it so great is that 
I developed this packet over time. And so the first two and a half weeks before senior project, the kids did two hours of research a day and came in every day and discussed it. So by the time we got down there, these kids knew everything about the Incans, everything about what we were going to do, everything about the people we'd meet, the places. I mean, they knew everything on the menu. They knew the history of the dishes on the menu. Uh, and so it made it so great. And the fact that you can speak Spanish, you know, because so, you know, I, I brought down adults and they were great. But, you know, I sent some some videos and stuff to look at, but it wasn't, you know, and and the being in the orphanage is really such a central piece. And then being in that farm town, I mean, it, there are things going on like before we would go and we'd be in these sessions. And I, I would say to the kids and, you know, talk about a cultural thing. I would say to them, we're going to be in this orphanage. We're going to be in the land of the Incans. We're going to be standing in the soil that the Incans worked for thousands of years. We're going to be planting. We're going to be looking up at the mountains that the Incans believe are inhabited by the Apus, these spirits. We're going to do the ceremony to Mother Earth. There are going to be spiritual things coming at you, and you have to open your heart, open your mind, increase your bandwidth, because you are going to have an opportunity to see things and feel things and experience things that are going to stretch you, make you bigger, make you wiser, and give you experiences that not a day will go by the rest of your life when you will not think about this trip. And like, can you imagine me saying that to, you know, 12 Thayer students? It's like, yeah, I know this guy's an old hippie, but what, what's he, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But that was, but what I'm telling you, this is what this trip brings you. And being with Chivy, I mean, you got a sense of her, but Chivy is in your life. You go through life and you meet certain people that you really feel are possessed of a wisdom Chivy is number one on my list. And it's the reason that I didn't want to stop going to Peru. I wanted to be with Chivy and Julio, and I want to be in Cusco in the land of the Incans every year. And I want to share this with people from my country. It's just, it's such a great opportunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find a way because, you know, <laughs> You'll find a way. Uh, but that's what's also so great about this trip, because the truth is, it's where you go, but then it's who you're with when you get there. Yeah. Oh, and your parents did the whole thing. We went up to Weok Alto, the Incan village with Elvis and his family. I mean, we, you know, th this is all things that kind of Chivy guided us to and we fundraised and we actually built the house that they live in. I mean, it was, you know, you'll, you'll get to this house one day where Elvis and his family lives. There was like this series of events where like one of the girls in the group was doing a thing. And I, well, let's talk about building a house and like because her father was in construction. I don't know. We got into this thing. And then her father who was a very wealthy guy. Calls me, says, Jake, why don't we do some fundraising and see if we could build a house for these people? Because he had heard the stories. People had their house fall down. And and I said, you know, I said, 
you know, I understand, but, you know, these are families, the kids are going to college, they got a lot of expenses coming up. And he says to me, no, you got, you got some deep pockets in this group. So it was like, so it was like, I spent three days composing this email. Cause like if somebody had come to me with my kids leaving, uh, Thayer and they're going and it's like, can, can you make a, a serious donation to it? It's like, actually, dude, not really. Like, I'm just figuring out how I'm going to pay all this stuff. And so it, it, what happened, the people who had money started writing checks the people who didn't have money started writing checks for like $25. We raised $7,000 in a few, it was like four days before we left. We raised $7,000. We brought it down and they built a house. Wow. I mean, and, and the beauty of it is like, did anybody go without as a result of this? What did I do to make this happen? I wrote an email and I, we changed people's lives. And when you go up, to this village and you meet the villagers and the family that we helped. This is the kind of experience that you cannot have in Peru without doing it with Julio and Chevy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just talking to you on the phone, I'm, I'm already very excited. <laughs> oh man. It was, Oh, and it was so much fun. We do the two and a half weeks and the kids start asking questions and, you know, like getting a little nervous because there was also the thing where, you know, you're going to be offered guinea pig to eat. <laughs> that was always like, uh, you know, and there was always this moment that they were in terror. Of course, you know, what, what happened is that, you know, when you say to like on a certain level, you say to a meat eater, listen, these people raise guinea pig. Uh, they have been eating guinea pig for thousands of years. It not only are going to eat it. But they're going to kill the guinea pigs, and you're going to have an opportunity to watch. The kids will, oh, my God, that's the grossest thing. Meanwhile, I would always think to myself, you know what? You're a freaking meat eater. You've never seen an animal slaughtered? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, well, you know, come on. So they would, you know, a bunch of the townswomen would get together, and they would kill the – they had this way of twisting the neck. It was so humane and instantaneous. And then we saw how you uh, prepare an animal to be cooked and it was you know i mean granted cut open the insides but you've seen that done to a fish right oh yeah you know i mean it's a little worse but not much and you know and and it was like everybody would end up watching and some people even jumped in you know start the, pulling the hair off or cutting something and uh it was it was quite an experience doing that I just and then it was funny. Every group reacted differently. <laughs> Over time, I developed a taste for it, and I only ate it once a year, so I enjoyed it. But yeah. some, you know, generally people would taste it, but you know, some people didn't. And I always loved the line. You know, the line, "You can eat those fries." <laughs> you know, everybody would get a piece of koi. I'd be like, "Hey, you gonna eat that koi?" Because uh, you know, I, I could go for a little more. <laughs> I think one of my favorite stories from my brother when he came back was when he was walking into one of those houses and the guinea pigs were running around the house. <laughs> and, yeah. and he, he thought later that day they'd be on his plate. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was funny because when we started going, the house that prepared our meals in Oyanta in the farm town, it was dirt floor, cooey running around in the kitchen, there was just a fire in the corner with a hole in the roof, and that was the kitchen. And over time, 
because they sort of made money. We gave donations, you know, because it just it's so easy to help. <laughs> they put in a cement kitchen, running water, a nice gas stove. And I really I felt good for them, you know, seeing their level of, uh, of life going up. But I miss the old days, too. Yeah. Things change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. We uh, the, we had this one custom. They, they love to make uh, banana pancakes. And after, like, you know, you're always looking for gifts. And you know it's a great gift anywhere you travel in the world. It's a little tricky to take. But uh, maple syrup. <laughs> because who doesn't like maple syrup? True. You get good maple syrup. And also being like country people, they love to hear the story of, yes, this is only from our region, you know, late winter, early spring. They bang these, uh, you know, tubes into this certain kind of tree. It runs out. They boil it. They love that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, banana pancakes with Trader Joe's best syrup. I mean, that is a gift from heaven. <laughs> I don't think they have too many Trader Joe's down there. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, put that in your pocket, man. Anywhere you go in the world, show up with some maple syrup, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well. Hey. well, it's really nice that, you know, you did this thing with Peru because, you know, whatever else, your interest is more than academic you know, because of your, your brother and your parents' experiences, and you know that it's it's in your future. Yeah. Uh, good. Anything else, brother? I think that's it. You were fantastic, to say the least. Oh, uh, come on. <laughs> hey, and say hi to your parents, man. Your parents, you know, it's really funny. And it's also the other thing I have to tell you, like, I didn't, you know, really know your parents. You know, we just met at parent conferences and that. But uh, your parents, man, are so great. You know, they're just smiling, laughing, you know, and the whole thing about going to Peru, like what I would say to the kids is, listen, and especially your trip, our trip was a lot more comfortable and easy. But, you know, it's about, you know, you're going to wake up every day in Peru. The days are going to be long. They're going to be tiring. But let me tell you, just bring it. That's your attitude. I'm ready, baby. Bring it. Bring it. That's the way you should go every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, well, it was nice talking to you, you know, getting to know you a bit. I mean, I certainly, you know, I know all you Carbones very, very well. Uh, you know, the other thing I'm going to tell you about the way you've been raised, uh, children who were raised with, you know, you have this big family business. I know your brother worked in it. I think the children who grew up, who grow up, where the parents are entrepreneurs at whatever level, uh, you grow up, you see something real, the stories at the dinner table. Have you participated in this business? I have. I was there two summer. No, I think it was last summer, this past summer. Yeah, good. Because you, you see a business is a real thing. It's not, and, and everything is, you know, it's like COVID. It's like, how do we deal with this? How do I handle this situation? You know, it's uh, and, and I think kids are a little more realistic, uh, more grounded who grow up and are aware of a family business. So you've really had, uh, you know, a lot of nice things uh, coming your way. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm grateful. I'm very grateful for what I have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, so what's going to happen to this? Are you writing a paper, giving a presentation? So I'm making a website. Um, my original plan was to just present it to the school. But what I'm planning on doing now that I have all this more specific information is taking this website and sharing it with the Spanish, I, I guess, the Spanish classes. Um, probably starting younger, uh, like freshmen, and then maybe giving it more heavily towards those kids in the future who are planning to go to Peru. Because this is kind of, this is going to have an interview from you, Shivy, and Miss Lukens, which is kind of like the holy trinity of the Peru trip. Uh, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, this is, you know, it, to tell you the truth, like the genius of this program, a million years ago, we had a, uh, a principal who was kind of a pretty plain white guy. And I wasn't doing a trip. And my daughter happened to be a senior at Thayer, my first daughter. And there was a trip to Costa Rica that I was very aware of that was a little lame. And he, he you know, he, the, the guy comes to, he said, Jake, you know, would you, you know, would you run the Costa Rica trip next year? And I said, you know what, Mike? I said, that Costa Rica trip, I, I, we may be able to do better. I'm going to take a couple of months. And then I'll get back to you. It immediately made him very nervous. You know, I don't know about Jake. I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> and uh, so uh, what I did was I made like 50 phone calls. And I didn't like anything that anybody told. Oh, first, I actually went over the Costa Rica trip. I called them. And I said, listen, we'll go next year. But here's what I want you to do. <laughs> and I had all these ideas of. Because the, the, the way – like there's this formula for making money off these American kids. is like ridiculous. And I kept making phone calls. And then I called up – this guy was like a local guy attached to Harvard. And he was kind of representing a few boutique trips that were really interesting. And he started talking to me about this trip. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? Oh, we're going to walk the Inca Trail? Uh, Machu Picchu? I didn't think I would ever get to Machu Picchu. And so it was the first trip was me, my daughter, her friends and some others. And we went on this trip for the first time. And I didn't know it was around the corner. And I am three days into this trip with Julio and Chivy. And I don't know if you've had this experience in life where you do something and you get involved with some group and you just have this. There's this expression that comes into my brain. It's like I am so freaking home with these people. I am home. You know, it was like it wasn't like I was, you know, yeah, this is good, but it's a little commercial. What are you taking us to that store and trying to make us buy crap? It was just everything was so soulful, visionary, well organized, thoughtful. And I was just so happy. And then we came back from the trip and summer came and I went back in September, October. And the juniors, this group of juniors comes up to me and they're like, hey, so we're going to Peru. And I'm like, well, I really wasn't thinking about it, but, you know, yeah, why don't we go to Peru? <laughs> and, and so the trip began and I began developing, you know, a research thing. And, and then the trip just began like, I mean, it took on this life of its own. That was really, really wonderful. And the kids that I've gone with, 
like of all the things I've done at Thayer, you know, I had a really successful soccer program for 25 years, uh, you know, a Spanish teacher, but sharing this experience with these kids, all of these kids are in touch with me, like all the time. Uh, and it's just really great. And there's still a couple of kids. They're now, I think, juniors in college. And I, I also, I have a business of uh, residential real estate and I do a lot of renovation work. And there are times in a renovation where you need muscle. And I got these two kids who went with me to Peru and they love working with me and we talk <laughs> about the good old days and, you know, and uh, it's, a, it's a really nice relationship with kids because, you know, the thing about this trip, and that's what I meant about with faculty who wanted to go on this trip who didn't really get the trip, it, there's this thing where you start a trip 24-7, tight quarters, you know, there's some anxiety, pressures, it's hard, we're doing things like Peru, everything seems dirty, uh, everything is late, pick up at the orphanage was supposed to be 6 at 7.30, hey, profe, where's, where's everybody, ah, you know, they're coming. <laughs> well, I'm really hungry. Yeah, I, I don't know. Here, I got a bag of nuts. He did not. Uh, you know, it was just, you got so close to these kids. It was just like nothing else, but it unmasked people. I mean, there were also, quite honestly, some kids that I had kind of liked it there who, it turned out, they just, you know, it's like running a marathon where you got a tiny little problem. That is not a problem until you hit, you know, mile 12. Yeah. But it's so great the relationships you know that, that I developed with, with the kids and it was so much fun. I used to love the adventure, but it was a tough program. I mean, the the reality is this thing kicked my ass every year, and I'd want to be fit so I could walk the Inca Trail because I had to duck it a couple of years. Because like I'm an aging athlete too. One year I had this little Achilles thing, and I thought, Jesus, if I start walking and this thing acts up, you know. By the time I get off the trail, I might never play soccer again. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough from the old guy. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun telling you all these stories, too. It's great hearing them. You know, uh, yeah. And uh, God, I love Julio and Chivy. I mean, the adventures we've had and the great trip that they made for the parents. I mean, it was incredible. Okay, brother. <laughs> Thanks for talking hey, with me. Hey, John, it was really my pleasure. My pleasure. So give everybody a hug and a kiss for me. Absolutely. Same to you.